What is up, Western? Welcome to SOS, the podcast giving you all the deets on student services. We are here to educate you on resources that often get lost in administration. Welcome. I'm your host, Sharon, and today we are here with Lucas from CMHA. Lucas, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. So let's begin with you telling us a little bit about the CMHA and its services and what your position there is. Perfect. Yeah. So I, my name is Lucas. I, I work for CMHA Elgin Middlesex. So CMHA Canadian Mental Health Association is a provincial wide organization. And then within each individual province, like the province of Ontario, we have many different branches across the entire province. Specifically, our CMHA is CMHA Elgin Middlesex. So we cover those areas of Elgin County and Middlesex County. You can really expect that from CMHA is that if you're ever struggling with your your mental health or addiction or just looking for mental health and addiction resources, either looking to connect with somebody to speak to, looking for case management, looking for community supports, we got all of those kind of under our umbrella in different ways. For myself, I specifically work at the Crisis Centre. So our Crisis Centre is located at 648 Huron Street, just kind of on the corner of Huron and Adelaide. And I specifically work as the manager for our supportive response programs there. So our supportive response programs consist of our Reach Out Crisis Line, which is a 24-7 crisis line for mental health and addiction. Um, You can call it any point in time. Um, And it's a great resource in our community. Um, You know, you have a supportive individual on the other line, either supporting you with finding services in your community, getting access to the hospital if you're needing support, support from the hospital, uh, or just somebody to speak to about what's going on in, going on in your life currently that you might be struggling with. Another program, um, oh yes, I forgot to mention, we also provide on Reach Out uh, call, text, and chat services. So people are able to text our, our Reach Out number and get a response. They're also able to find us at uh, www.reachout247.ca and, and, and chat with us there as well too. Uh, some of the other programs that I I, uh, I manage here at CMHA are, is our supportive listening line, which is just so near and dear to my heart. It's our distress line here in Middlesex and Elgin County and supports people who are experiencing distress. So a little bit different from the Reach Out Crisis line, it's kind of that mental health maintenance piece. You know, somebody supportive that you can talk to on a daily basis or whenever it is that you're needing, you call in and you've got another supportive person on the other end of the line that's there to to help you with whatever is going on for you in that moment. And lastly, our Friendly Caller Senior Support Program, which is uh, is a program for older adults in our community, 55 years of age and over, uh, and helps to support connecting those individuals with some of our volunteers to create uh, community connection, friendship, and reduce that experience of loneliness and isolation, which is very prevalent during this pandemic and, and just in this time in general. So why did you personally get involved with the CMHA? Wow, that's a, it's a big question. Um, so I actually am initially, I grew up and I was born and raised in Toronto. Um, but since I was a little, little, little child, I will say probably grade three or grade four, however old I was then, maybe 10 or nine years old, I always wanted to be a social worker and work in therapeutic supports. Uh, so, you know, I had my little therapy booth underneath the uh, jungle gym there in Toronto at my school. And and from there, I just really uh, found a passion for wanting to connect and support people. Uh, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of communication and building meaningful relationships with people and, and social work and mental health support just really seems like the, a great avenue to do that. Uh, it's when I actually met my, my partner uh, when I was going to school in Toronto that I found my way back over here in London and, and, you know, now living just outside of London. 
And it's, that's where I found CMHA as a rule. So I came in here, I was a crisis, I was a crisis uh, assessment worker, which are the folks that we see who do face-to-face appointments at our, our crisis center. Um, I was a crisis assessment worker there and then shortly after moved into my current role now as a manager at the organization. And I think, you know, back from when I was 10 until until now, the same holds true is why I really love this work is because of the stories that I get to hear from people, because of the connections I get to create, because of that kind of warm a warm and, and joyful feeling that I get from being able to support somebody with what they're going through or or just the trust and vulnerability that comes from people when they're willing to share with me some of the struggles that they're going through in their life. It's, it, it really is life-changing and, and has a huge impact on me. That's fantastic. So many of the students on campus aren't sure of when they should be using uh, available resources. Could you give us some insight on when students could and should use some of CMHA's services that you mentioned before? Yeah, so I mean, twenty four seven. I I uh, I really do encourage people to connect with our cri- like our crisis services in particular. Are they're all twenty four seven services? So for students who you know are struggling and, and are needing somebody to speak to, either they're they're feeling like they're in mental health crisis or addiction crisis, or they're they're feeling like they're in distress and they need somebody to talk through a situation with. Uh, both the support line and reach out our reach out crisis line. I would encourage students to contact them twenty four seven whenever it is that they need us. We want to be there for them. Um, as well, you know, if you're wanting more of that face to face interaction, we very much encourage you to come to the crisis center and access us here, or access us through the 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 uh, crisis satellites that we have at the different campuses for for UWO and and their affiliate sites. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, with that being said, what are some of the limitations of CMHA's services? So some of its boundaries? Yeah. So, you know, with CMHA services, uh, while we do, we do provide a very wide range of services, depending on what it is that you're looking for. Um, I know at our, we have different sites in which we provide different things. So we've got our Strathroy site in the county. We've got our, our, London site on, on Huron Street as well as Queens. Um, and we also have our site in Elgin as well too. Um, you know, some of the limitations of the service can be, and and I think that this is more sort of true of mental health services in general, is that a lot of focus is really put towards, um, you know, in the moment reaction services. So you, you're in crisis, so you come and you access the support. Uh, where we don't see as much of a focus is in some of those preventative pieces, those early intervention pieces, like ongoing counseling support, ongoing uh, like intensive group support, uh, and some of those um, some of those programs that are a little harder to come by. I mean, we we do have those; they do happen. However, you know, waitlists can be long, um, and it, it can be hard for people to access those programs. Um, so I see that as kind of being a limitation. I will also say that during the pandemic. Uh, we have seen a huge increase in the amount of calls that we have coming into our supportive listening line and our reach out line. Uh, to that effect, it, it means that sometimes it can take a little bit for somebody to respond to you. Now, it's it's not to suggest that it's going to take a long time. I mean, if someone's in crisis, we're going to be getting back to them pretty quickly. But just to say that we're not able to guarantee 100% of the time that when you call in, you get a live person on that line right away. And I know for some people who are in crisis, it feels like I need somebody to speak to right in this very moment. I still very much encourage people to reach out and leave us a message because we will get back to you very, very quickly. 
So you did mention <laughs> that the uh, CMHA's on Huron Street is open 24-7. So where can students go to get some more information um, about CMHA in general and uh, crisis counseling and the process of getting uh, an appointment? Yeah, so uh, so as it relates to, uh, you know, all of our CMHA services, I really encourage people to just check out our website, CMA, uh, like cmhamiddlesex.ca. It's got all of our services up there, specifically to the services that I've talked about today. So as it relates to our crisis services, you will find that on the CMHA website. You can also call into our site as well, too, and get information from our information and brief support team, as well as, you know, any of the people who are working here on site. I also really encourage people to call Reach Out, our Reach Out Crisis Line, because while we are a mental health and addiction crisis line, we also provide support and information around resources in the community. So it is it is a line that you can call into. You don't necessarily need to be experiencing mental health crisis to get support. You can call in with questions about where do I find this service? Where can I find affordable counseling services? Where can I find group services? Where can I find case management services? All of these different types of things, we're there to help you with that as well, too, and can provide that support. Um, yeah, so I would say our website, you know, coming to our CMHA crisis site and experiencing our services is a great way to get to know them, as well as contacting Reach Out is a great, uh, it's a great place to get information about services throughout our region, not even just the ones that are at CMHA. Wow, yeah, it's so great to hear how multifold um, the services CMHA has to offer. With that being said, are there any current or upcoming events and initiatives that the CMHA is doing that you would like our listeners to know about? I mean, not not specific events, I would say, uh, that, that we're doing currently. However, I do really encourage people who are students at UWO to, to be aware of our crisis satellite sites. So, you know, I know that sometimes traveling can be a barrier. Uh, and between February 22nd and April 23rd of this year, between uh, 5 to 9 p.m., we are, you know, providing support, uh, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, you know, Western Kings, Russia and Huron. Um, you know, if you are a student, uh, you, um, you do need to be a current resident of Ontario. Um, but if you're a student at, uh, you know, at the university, you're able to access us virtually. So, um, you know, students would be able to, and you can find this information on our website, but students would be able to email student crisis appointment at cmhamiddlesex.ca during the, the times that I specified, so five to nine. Um, and they uh, will be connected with from one of our, our CMHA intake workers to get them to connect connected with a mental health um, provider. So while it, you know it's not really an event, it's it's really a service itself. It's something that um, I know for many students who have used our crisis satellites in the past in person on campus. Uh, this is a way you can continue to do that with you know some of those you know sort of restrictions put in place as a result of uh, where we are at currently in the pandemic and making sure that everybody's healthy and safe. That's that's great to hear that uh, CMHA is still operating during this pandemic. Oh yeah, we're not going. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> so, so I have some more personal questions uh, now. Uh, so, how has CMHA impacted you? Yeah. So, I mean, in a lot of different ways. I, I want to say that th there, there's two different ways. I, I think in which it's impacted me on a more general level. I think you know to speak to the first one, sort of just the community and culture that CMHA has built. Uh, 
you know, I've, I've worked in a lot of different places. I've worked on a, in a lot of different organizations uh, related to mental health and addiction. And I have to say that when you work in spaces, uh, you know, you go to school in spaces, you're part of communities, they have to be uplifting and fulfilling for yourself uh, in order for them to, for you to be able to sustain yourself in the work that you do and the support that you provide, as well as for you to feel uh, fulfilled and, and feel like you're grateful for what it is that you're participating in. So I just have to, you know, say that CMHA has really impacted me in the sense that it's created a community and culture where, um, you know, you, you can feel accepted and appreciated and, and, and you can come to work and you can come and do your support with other people and, and make those relationships with other people and feel like, yeah, like this is, I'm working towards something that's, that's really meaningful for me now. I mean, I, I, I think this will go for a lot of my colleagues and myself. It doesn't matter what level of the organization you're a part of as far as leadership or frontline work or volunteering. But a lot of us also have lived experience of mental health as well, too. Uh, you know, our own sort of struggles that we go through in our life. And it's what's drawn us to the work that we do. I am no exception to that. That is definitely very deeply connected with why I've, I work in the field that I do, because I see the impact it's had on me as well, too. Um, and, uh, and I have to say that, yeah, kind of being, um, being in a space where people are really focusing on breaking down mental health stigma and are accepting of who you are as a person and see some of your challenges and struggles as being a value to the work that you do, as opposed to a deficit that, uh, you know, is going to make, is going to be in the way of you doing your work. I think that that is really meaningful. That's a huge impact. And then, you know, that's one side of it. That's, that's, that's me as a worker, but uh, just as a person, you know, the, the people that I get to meet and interact with, uh, again, you know, going back to what I had said earlier, the, the types of stories that I get to hear from people around their lives and, you know, the, the, the very vulnerable and very real conversations about what people are currently going through. Uh, you know, you can't help, but feel, I, I can't help, but feel just, endlessly humbled by that experience. I just, yeah, I get so, I get so much out of just being able to experience, uh, you know, somebody else's world with them. Uh, and I feel very grateful that people, you know, meeting me just for five, you know, within five minutes are already sharing with me stories that are so impactful about their life. So I don't, I don't think you can really compare anything to that experience of just being given so much trust from people uh, with their experiences. And that impacts you very deeply. Uh, it reminds me of, you know, what it is that, you know, I need from the relationships in my own personal life. Like, what is it that I'm expecting as I reflect on my interactions with other people? And it's helped me so much to grow as an individual, to think about how I can be a good friend, uh, a good support to somebody else in the moment. Because, you know, I, I have to say like beyond all of the clinical skills that we learn as workers, uh, what it really comes down to at the end of the day is how we foster and build really helpful and healthy connections with people. That's at the heart of everything that we do. And yeah, you, you just, you just grow so much from being able to work with people. And uh, yeah, that's not something I would ever trade. And it's definitely one of the biggest impacts that this work and, uh, you know, CMHA and the opportunities it's provided has had on my life. Thank you for sharing that. That's super powerful to hear. So. 
that being said, what are some of the barriers uh, in our community with respect to mental health? Because you didn't mention uh, some stuff about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure for people who are hearing this podcast, I'm sure you can think about your own life and just think about some of those higher level systemic barriers that have impacted you and enter- and accessing mental health services. So, you know, I, I think for myself, you know, grow uh, like mental health stigma and discrimination towards individuals with mental health diagnoses or mental health uh, struggles that they're going through is, is very very, very real. Um, and, and a lot, there's a lot of advocacy work being done within mental health communities. Uh, you know, you, you see things like mad studies or sanism or mentalism, these kind of topics come up surrounding, uh, you know, psychiatric survivors, uh, uh, you know, uh, through the mental health system, uh, as it relates to discrimination that people have experienced, right? So uh, just to say that that stigma and discrimination towards uh, accessing mental health services and towards having a mental health diagnosis or struggling with your mental health is something that we all deal with. And, you know, I, I think that that, it, that can be uh, further complicated by different parts of our uh, identity, right? So, uh, you know, when, when I say that, I mean, you know, kind of looking at our identity intersectionally. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, there are different parts of our our identity and what makes up us up as people that uh, creates additional barriers or gives us additional uh, privileges as it relates to accessing mental health services. So, you know, for, you know, to provide an example, um, you know, growing up as a young man in, you know, Western uh, Canadian culture, I will say that the notion of accessing mental health supports um, is really seen as uh, a huge weakness, right? You know, we have a lot of young boys growing up in our community who are being taught that um, emotions are a sign of weakness. Um, emotions are, uh, yeah, emasculating, right? They're not a very masculine presentation. And this can silence a lot of people, right? They, they don't they don't end up talking about what is going on for them in their life because they're told and they're given the message that if they do, um, that they are going to be laughed at, they're going to be discriminated against, they're going to be told um, that they need to silence themselves because of who they are. Um, you know, there is nothing, uh, you know, more oppressive than, uh, you know, being told that you can't be, you know, you can't be who you are or that your identity is wrong or that reaching out for support uh, is uh, is wrong because of something fun- that you can't fundamentally change about yourself. Right. So, you know, it's not it's not just related to masculinity and men, which is, is a huge issue as it relates to mental health stigma and often leads to men not speaking out. And as a result, and ends up with men uh, having to cope in, in, you know, different ways like substance use um, and, you know, and, and also to, you know, representation as far as suicide rates are concerned. So I, I, I know that, you know, many, many people can kind of resonate with this topic in different ways. And it's, yeah, it's not just gender, right? You know, it's, it's also, you know, as we look at the intersection of culture and religion, and as we look at the intersection of sexuality uh, and disability and all of the different messages that we receive around mental health services and what does it mean about us as people if we access them? Um, you know, I, uh, I really, I see that when people come in and are accessing support, there's so much fear around the perception 
of, of, of them accessing that support, uh, you know, so much attention to concealing their identity be, because of that stigma that does exist. And a lot of people disclosing information that, you know, they have nobody else in their life that they can speak to about this because if they were to tell their family, if they were to tell their friend groups, that they would be rejected. Um, so, you know, that is a major barrier. It lives in our heads, but it also lives in our culture and it really impacts, yeah, the way that we engage with mental health services overall, it, it, it impacts whether or not we're willing to take that step to walk into the crisis center and receive support from somebody. Uh, and it impacts whether or not we're going to reach out to our friend on campus, uh, when we're struggling with something. Uh, and that silence is something that really, really needs to stop. And and I mean, the best way I think that we can go about stopping that, I think there are lots of different campaigns and, you know, different advocacy efforts around that. But it's a, it, it really starts with ourselves and, and really challenging some of those beliefs for ourselves and being, being role models for, uh, you know, others who share parts of our identity um, and letting them know that, yes, you can reach out for support. Yes, you can go to this space. And yes, discrimination is still real. Yes, you may experience it. But yes, it's still it's still OK. Um, and this is something that needs to change. It's not something that's inherently wrong with you. It's it's something that's inherently wrong with our culture that we need, need to collectively heal from. So kind of went on a little bit of a tangent there. <laughs> but I feel that um, as far as barriers to mental health support, stigma is at the heart um, at the heart of accessing and services, but th there are many other uh, barriers as well too. Whether that's living in rural communities and not having supports readily available to you, in the same way for people who live in urban spaces, that's barriers related to income uh, and your ability to go take time off work to go in and get crisis support or to get mental health support. Um, or to be able to come and see a service when you're you're in a housing precarious situation, or you're living uh, you're you're living in shelter and you're needing to get to shelter uh, early to get a bed, um, and instead of going and caring for your mental health with a men mental health worker or a service provider, right? So, you know, barriers come in many different forms. It's it's. Uh, it really is a privilege to be able to access mental health services. And there are many ways in which people experience uh, where oppression and, and the experience of discrimination can really impact their access to services. Thank you for bringing those barriers to light. I'm sure many people can resonate with that. So for our listeners, uh, on the topic of wellness, what does wellness look like to you personally, Lucas? What does wellness look like to me? That is a uh, interesting conversation. I think uh, there's a lot of different dimensions to wellness. Um, I will say that I, at the forefront of what wellness means to me is I think that wellness is a very self-defined term, uh, which means that, you know, you might be hearing my definition of wellness, but I, I don't, I ask that you don't describe it um, to yourself. I ask that you think about what does wellness mean for you and the reason that I say that is because I think that a lot of people can think that wellness means, okay, well, I, I shouldn't be experiencing any negative emotions. I'm not experiencing any negative emotions. I'm doing well. Um, that is just such a very, um, very uh, sort, of, sort of finite and uh, black and white way to think about wellness. Um, you know, wellness can be 
uh, getting up out of bed uh, today where you've been struggling to do that in the past. Wellness can be uh, being able to regulate your emotions a little bit better in situations where you haven't been able to do that historically. Wellness can be uh, going and hanging out with your friends where you might be feeling in your head that you should isolate yourself or that people don't want to connect with you. Like, like wellness can look so different depending on who you are um, and and where you are currently at. So I think it is very self-defined. I think for myself, when I think about when I am well, um, you know, I, I have that space in my own head for those things that those mental things that I like to do. So I know for myself, I'm an innovator. I'm a creative person. I love my music. I love music. I love, uh, you know, I love dramatic arts. I love engaging in those things that just bring, you know, fill my cup, bring me so much joy in life. And I think when uh, I'm in a mental space to allow myself the time to do those things, I'm feeling well, because there are many moments where, uh, you know, you, you're done with a busy day, you're done studying for exams for the day, you're done with your many courses that you attend, you're done with work, and then you go home and it doesn't feel like it's over. It feels like it's continuing. You're feeling anxious about your course tomorrow. You're feeling anxious about your exam tomorrow. You're feeling anxious about having to go back to work tomorrow. Um, you know, that for me is when I notice that I'm not doing well. Um, and, you know, and on the opposite end, you know, when I can when I can leave and I can sort of shut that out for a second and say, you know what? I'm going to play my guitar. I'm going to play my piano. I'm going to do some singing or I'm going to think up, dream up some grand ideas about what I'd like for the future for myself and for my family. Uh, you know, those are those moments when I am personally feeling well. And I, and I recognize that that's going to look again, different for every single person, but that that's just me. For sure. I agree that wellness is not a one size fits all uh, approach. Definitely. So with exams coming up, what are some strategies you can recommend for students uh, during this time to, you know, be their best self and, and keep well? Yeah. So there's a lot of different resources that you can turn to. Um, you know, again, this is going to look different from each person because we all cope in different ways, right? Uh, some of us are more introverted in nature and get uh, energy and feel recharged by kind of having that alone time to connect with ourselves and and, and sort of reset ourselves. Some of our us are really extroverted people and really get our energy from being around other people and socializing. Um, and so I think you know the first step here for um, you know for students for anybody as far as you know kind of mapping their road to wellness and and learning to cope is understanding you know what are those things that fill your own cup that make you feel good and make you feel fulfilled uh you know just write them down just sit, take a second to sit down and think about you know when are those moments that you felt joyful is it times when you've been sitting and watching tv and you've been watching your favorite show i'm stuck on a you know on an anime series now that i used to watch when i was young and now i'm revisiting it and, and now it has like 700 episodes so i can I can, uh, you know, I can tune out and tune into that when I'm really feeling like it. it makes me feel, you know, really nice. Um, but also to, I know that for a lot of people, uh, connecting, you know, connecting with peers during this time, especially when uh, you're when people are feeling very isolated, can be one of those things that really, again, makes us feel really connected and feel really well, and sort of tune out of some of those things that make us feel really anxious. So 
I think it starts with getting to know yourself. What is it that is going to be really helpful for you based on who you are as a person and where you get energy? I think from that, you know, you, it's, it's important to explore and start to develop for yourself uh, and, you know, an effective coping toolkit. And, you know, you can go online and you can search what is the coping toolkit and you'll find lots of examples of them. And you're going to look at some of them and you're probably going to think, ah, I don't like any of that. And none of that's going to help me. Um, and, and that's absolutely fair because somebody's coping toolkit is going to look very different from your own. So, uh, you know, go into that with no kind of pre- preconceived notions about what a to- coping toolkit should look like. But again, starting to think about what are those activities? What are those uh, sensory things that we really like? So thinking about, you know, uh, food that we really like or, or a fabric or feeling that we really like or, uh, you know, that mute piece of music that when we listen to just brings us a lot of joy or, um, you know, a, a picture or image that brings us a lot of meaning. Put, put all these things in one space. And when you're feeling stressed, go to them, you know, use them as a way to help you push through difficult moments. I will say that there are a lot of online resources, uh, you know, uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, also known as DBT. It has um, a whole, like if you look it up, there are lots of skills for coping with, with distress when you're experiencing distress for emotional regulation or building healthy relationships with people. There's lots of skills and things that you can try from there. Um, There's lots of different apps that people are using now for mindfulness, even just breathing apps to help you regulate your own breathing when you're starting to notice that you're feeling kind of elevated or you're feeling overwhelmed and you're noticing that your breathing is starting to short, is starting to become, um, you know, like you're getting that sort of shortness of breath or racing breathing or your heart rate is racing. Um, So again, yeah, get to know yourself, surround yourself with things that bring you joy know whether or not connection is what you're needing in that moment or whether it's uh, maybe more con- like interpersonal connection is what you're needing or interpersonal, you know, connection with ourself is what we're needing in that moment. Um, and, you know, and give yourself, be very intentional about giving yourself time to do those things. I know for myself and for my colleagues and, uh, you know, during the pandemic, especially as we're working at CMHA, it's very easy to fall into this way of thinking of like, okay, well, you know, it's a pandemic, so there's no time for rest. We just got to keep going. Um, And I imagine that, you know, for exams, uh, it can feel this way as well, too. Sometimes I remember taking exams and thinking like, I got to study all night. I got to study during the day. I got to study in the evening. I got to study overnight. uh, And then I will be more prepared only arriving at my exam at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning and I haven't slept at all. And uh, it, you know, it actually, you know, negatively impacts my performance. Right. So um, really, you know, wellness also is, and coping is about giving yourself permission to, uh, to, to engage in some of these things that bring you joy, knowing that actually doing those things, doing those things to cope is a way of being productive. It is a way of doing better on your exams. It is a way of doing better in your work. It is a way of connect, uh, you know, doing better in your life overall as, as we need to feel well and we need to feel calm and collected in order to really give our attention to those things that uh, really require a lot of emotional uh, focus and, and, and attention to them. Well, for sure. I can, I can totally agree to being like super go, go, go during exams. And I guess sometimes the best way to like consolidate the information for myself personally is slowing down and uh, taking that breather. 
And uh, can I just say, I love your analogy with the uh, filling your cup. I'm going to be using that a lot more often. <laughs> I like it as well too. I think it's a, I think it's a good image. And, uh, and I think, you know, it's good to think about in your life, you know, what is filling your cup and also what's taking things out of it as well too. What are those things, you know, maybe studying for exam takes some, some, uh, some things out of your mental wellness cup. So, you know, you can't, you can't function with an empty cup. So you're going to have to fill it with something. Otherwise, uh, it's going to be really hard for you to be able to move forward. So I, I like that analogy too. It's good. It's good visualization. Fantastic. Fantastic. Now, before we sign off, is there anything else you would like our listeners to know? Uh, I, 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 I mean, just that this is a really just a hard time in human history. You know, like I just want to be very real with people. This is hard. Uh, it's hard for a lot of people. Uh, you know, we can see people around us who are struggling more than others. Uh, I know I'm struggling with certain things. And I'm all, and we're also, you know, while while it is a really hard time, there's also many ways in which we are thriving and striving to, you know, see the world as a better place, uh, you know, to advocate for change, to take care of ourselves and the people that are around us. So, you know, I just I don't want to forget I don't want to forget that that you know if you're struggling right now and if it's really hard for you with everything that's been going on same you know it's it's a it's a shared experience for a lot of us please don't blame yourself for those feelings but know that if you are ever looking for somebody to speak to please call us please call reach out please call support line please come to the crisis center please access the crisis satellite please come see us we want to see you um and it you know that's what it's what we're here for and i can assure you it doesn't matter if you are you know, a student who's struggling with their mental health right now, or if you're the CEO of some large organization, everybody needs support. Uh, it, it doesn't matter if it's me, if you're a manager of a mental health program, or if you're a worker, or a mental health counselor, we all need support. We all are deserving of it. And I hope that, uh, I hope that when you feel that you need that, that you'll come uh, and, and reach out for it. So we, we can be there with you through that. Thank you so much for coming in today to tell us about the CMHA and your own lived experiences. For any students wanting to take advantage of this amazing service, it is located at 648 Huron Street and open 24-7. Thank you for listening. I'm Sharon, over and out. Remember, these resources are for all students, so whenever you're feeling stranded, don't shout for an SOS. Come see a student service.